Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? All right. Well, I think the cold weather may be gone. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. It was just, just kind of teasing me there. Just stayed cold. Had to, you know, heater, air conditioner, heater, air conditioner, heater, air conditioner. Can I get a witness? Drive me a little crazy, but that's okay. God is good. How often is he good? All the time. Amen. Luke chapter 12. Join me in Luke chapter 12 this morning as we continue to feast upon the Word of God. I want to give you a quick announcement right quick that I'm very excited about. Hopefully you are too. Uh, those of you that are visiting today might not understand the excitement we have, but for years this church has had a three-phase plan of expansion, and we finally got the second phase voted on, and now we are this close to breaking ground, and we are actually going to break ground as a church next Sunday on Mother's Day. Hallelujah. Are you excited about that? Wonderful. Now. It's richer than just that, okay? That's going to be the Sunday that our Spanish brothers and sisters are going to be with us that morning. Uh, they're going to sing with us. Uh, we're going to try actually get uh, Juan to, uh, to do the welcome. Can't you wait to hear that bilingual welcome? That'll be fun. And then we're going to get them to read the Proverbs. And then, I, then I'll preach a brief message in here about half the time as normal. Then we will dismiss here. And as a whole church body, we will go back there and have a groundbreaking ceremony for a few minutes and pray and ask God to bless, continue to bless where we're headed as a church. Amen? Amen. All right. So now, today's business, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, several weeks ago when we started chapter 12, I, I gave you a warning and I gave you the warning because a lot of us have not sat under like long-term expositional preaching in the Word of God. So sometimes these harsh statements of Jesus can catch you off guard and make you a little unsettled, okay? So I kind of gave you a, a warning, try to prepare you a little bit because some of the hardest sayings from the mouth of Jesus are in Luke chapter 12, okay? And one of those sayings is today, so I'm trying to prepare, prepare you for that, all right? Now, when you think about Jesus, what are the types of sayings that you remember him saying? I'll give you a few that I think about. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then another one, I am the vine, you are the what? branches. Then another one, forgive somebody not just one time, but 70 times seven times. So we've got all these, these wonderful sayings of Jesus, and sometimes we like to dwell on those a little bit too much, and we don't get a well-balanced understanding of all the things that Jesus taught. Well, today we have another text that is pretty harsh coming from Jesus, one that speaks to his bringing judgment. Ugh judgment on the earth. And so again, to properly understand what Christ says, we must keep in mind this term that I use from time to time. And the term is inaugurated eschatology. That means the already, but not yet. You understand what I mean by that? We're already blessed, we're already saved, but have we realized all the blessings and all the glory of God yet in this, in this age? You need to say no a lot louder. <laughs> no, okay? This is not all there is, thank God Almighty. There is another time that is coming when Jesus returns or, or if we die before he returns that we will inherit with Jesus Christ. 
And so every time we hear Jesus preach and teach something, we always need to have that in our mind because sometimes he begins in the here and now and then he preaches with an eternal perspective in mind. And so we always have to keep that in mind when we're listening to Jesus teach. Now, the previous text that we've been looking at before we flow into what we hear today, verses 35 and 40 in chapter 12, Jesus gives us some, some instruction about always being prepared for the second coming, always be dressed for action, always have our lamps burning, Always be ready for the king, because when you're ready for the king to return, then the king comes, and he eats with you, and he serves you. And then we always have to be ready, because when Christ comes, the king comes like a what? Thief. Unexpectedly, like a thief. And then 41 through 48, verses 41 through 48, we, we ask the question, what kind of, of manager are you? The master has left to go on a journey, and he has left you in charge of his home and his servants. And what type of manager are you with his servants and with his home? Are you a faithful and good manager that gets all of his possessions when he returns? Are you a wicked and selfish manager? And the scripture says literally that Jesus will cut him into pieces, that graphic scene when he returns. Are you apathetic and rebellious? Or are you ignorant of what is to be done? That's the question that text asks. How are we managing while the master is gone? And then today, the text flows into these verses. Join me in chapter 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Shocking words. Who's ever heard that passage before? Raise your hand. Okay. Most of us. Fantastic. The parallel is Matthew 10, 34 through 36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a what? Sword. Sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do not, do not miss the fact these are Jesus Christ's words. Jesus' words. Not my interpretation of his words, not some scholar's interpretation of his words, but his words as he spoke them in Matthew and in Luke. Tough passages meant to equip us as his people to understand the hardship, the hardship that following him brings. 
because it does bring hardship. Let's look at the first verse, a couple of verses here. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus, the point that I get from those two verses is that Jesus came to prepare the world for final judgment. Final judgment. He came to get us ready. He came to teach the truth. He came to prepare us for his second coming. He came to prepare us for the final judgment. I mean, I wonder what these verses do to our personal theology when we hear Jesus say those words. I wonder. Does it, does it change the way we think about Jesus? Does it change the way we think about God? Well, it, it shouldn't. If we understand the gospel correctly, we understand that judgment is a part of the gospel. Amen? It's a part of the gospel. It is definitely the less pleasant part of the gospel. It is definitely the part that makes us very uncomfortable, but yet it, it is there and it is a part of the gospel. We understand that there is a time coming when this entire world will be judged perfectly by the perfect judge. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's great. That's good news. It's not going to be like earthly judges that make mistakes and imprison people falsely and things of that nature. This judge, when he comes, will do it to perfection. To perfection. Thank God Almighty. And one of the ways that he will judge will be from Christ's own mouth through fire. Fire. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Man, that's a mouthful, and that's going to be an incredible sight when it happens. Do you believe that is going to happen? If you don't, you need to, to start believing today. Because it is written in the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is absolutely true. Our culture has completely, almost totally erased judgment from our vocabulary. It has almost become a four-letter word that we are not to utter, but yet it is absolutely true, and it absolutely will happen. Jesus will come and cast fire, balo pur. It means to propel through the air. This fire will be propelled through the air. It sounds like Jesus desires that this final judgment was already underway. It's what it sounds like he's saying that the fire would have already come. It sounds like Jesus is ready for it to happen while he is speaking. This is not a pleasant thought, to say the least, but it is, it is in fact true. Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, will be seen, 
For the day, capital D means judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by... And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Jesus came to prepare us for the final judgment. Are you ready for the final judgment? That's, that's the plea throughout, throughout Jesus' ministry, is that you would be prepared for the final judgment. Because when he returns, there is no second chance. It's over. This is the only window of opportunity that you have, the only window of grace that God gives us, the only one. And Jesus would know about judgment personally because he would experience judgment. Verse 50 says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What on earth? is Jesus talking about. Christ speaks of bringing fire on the earth and then speaks of his baptism. He can't be speaking about when John the Baptist baptized him because that was in the past. Jesus is speaking of a future baptism. So what is he talking about? He is most likely talking about his upcoming crucifixion and death. And as any human would be, as Christ was human and God, but human, do not forget that Christ in his humanity says distress is great until it is accomplished. Imagine knowing the exact time and the exact manner and the exact way and the exact pain that you were going to experience by death. Imagine that. Jesus knew that, knew exactly where he was going, knew he would be publicly crucified, knew he would be beaten almost to death and nailed to a tree and left to die slowly one of the most agonizing deaths the world has ever known. That would bring anyone distress and it brought Jesus distress. Jesus would be baptized. He would be submerged. He would be consumed. He would be engulfed in pain and suffering and sin. When his time comes to die for the sins of the world, he will be scourged by the Roman soldiers, betrayed by his own people, sent to the cross and executed and as an innocent man. Christ would be judged and killed and his blood would be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And whoever does not believe in him will suffer his divine wrath of fire when he returns as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus came to prepare the world for final judgment. Next verse is, do you think that I have come to bring peace, to give peace to the earth? I tell you, no, I tell you, but rather division, for from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. Reading these passages makes, makes me quiver because what Jesus is telling us is that the truth of the gospel the truth, the ultimate truth of the gospel. It comes into your home and can create havoc and division in your own home. It's, it's disturbing, it is, but it's absolutely true that it it, it causes division in the immediate 
family. The gospel does. When we hear the name of Jesus, one of the names he is clearly given is the prince of what? Peace. And on what, what is this Jesus says, I tell you not peace, but rather division. And Matthew says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because that is what he is for those who believe in him and entrust their lives to him and follow him as their disciple. I can speak to that personally, as can many of you. We can speak to that. My heart and mind were a chaotic, unstable, sinful mess until Jesus came into my life and gave me peace with God. Can you amen that? You experienced that. However, I found another reality at work after that happened. I realized that not everyone was in support of my decision and newfound faith in Jesus. Not everyone was in support of that. In fact, it turned some people against me. I had difficulty with those closest to me. There was division and disagreement. Some didn't believe it was real. Others didn't want me to become a religious fanatic, a Jesus freak, amen? When Jesus truly comes into your life, he truly comes in. The change is radical, radical, and impacts every aspect of your life to a degree that makes others very uncomfortable, especially unbelievers and those that live with you that don't share your enthusiasm about Jesus. So it brings division in your family. You see, from now on, Jesus forces, we don't like that term, Jesus forces a choice to be made. He has come and presented himself before the world, and he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if those in your home follow any other religion but Christianity, the sword has just been brought into your home when you profess Christ. From now on, Jesus says, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. So I come to Christ, and I make peace with God, and now members of my own family are against me. Yes, that is what the Bible says. Difficult to understand, difficult to make sense of, and in those types of situations in the Bible, when things are difficult to make sense of and difficult to understand because the false teachers out there in the realm have so polluted our brains to think all of Christianity is just supposed to be one big feel-good experience, which it's not, I go to the Bible and I remember Paul's words, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now in this time, I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Things that mystify you as you live in this time and in this place as a believer in the gospel, things that you can't get your mind around or that you don't understand, but yet you want to stand in faith. Think back to Paul's words. You probably are not going to understand everything right now, but one day you will. One day you will. And it will all make sense. 
And those are the things that I cling to at times like this, especially when we see the reality that Jesus is telling us that his coming, his coming, and us accepting him has caused division in, in our immediate family, in our own homes. The gospel causes division unless everyone is a Christian, is what he means by that. Three will be against two, and two will be against three. Verse 53 They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You know, when I read that passage, I fell on my knees and I thank God Almighty it didn't fall on Mother's Day, amen? (laughs) I, I am not kidding around. Two or three weeks ago, because you know how we do this, we go through the text, and if there's a special occasion, we'll jump out and do something. But most of the time, we go straight through the Bible, and it will amaze you, kind of like Brandon pointed out, that that, that that stewardship passage came right before Compassion Child. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, that's just wonderful. Then I go to the text, and I'm like, God, thank you so much that that text did not fall on Mother's Day. Oh, my goodness, they would have, those women would have hated me forever, you know? But maybe I deserved it, who knows? So, anyway, thank God it didn't fall on Mother's Day. <laughs> so, <laughs> back to, let's read it again since I've totally knocked, knocked us off the, 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 uh, the trajectory here. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law. I mean, it, it just, I don't know about you, but when I read that, my head just spins. It just spins to think about that. To think that, that the gospel, the truth of the gospel is that powerful that it can be that divisive in your family. That it can be. It can affect the generation that is there right now. It can affect the generation after that generation. And not only does it affect what goes on in your home, but it can jump over to your in-laws' homes and divide them. That's how powerful and divisive the sword of the gospel can be. And it's, it's shocking. And those of you that have lived this, you understand. You understand having a family member that has jettisoned the gospel and left. And how when you have family meetings and family get-togethers, you're, you're, you're calling your friends to pray for you because he or she's coming home. And I need your prayers because they don't believe the gospel. In fact, they, they, they're kind of even, from what I see on social media, they, they, they kind of hate Christianity and are almost an apostate now. But that's what Jesus is talking about. He's preparing us for this to happen because he says, it's not if, it's when. It's when. The family division is generational and extended. So when Christ is accepted by some and not all in the family, division is the result, and this division can be generational and extended. Now, now why, why does this happen? Why can't we all just get along? Remember that? Remember that statement back 20 years ago? Well, when Christ is accepted by some and not all in the family, division is the result, and division can be generational and extended because it's a complete worldview change. A complete worldview change. That that is why our, our, our United States of America is so chaotic and insane right now. Do y'all realize there is a public shooting somewhere every other day right now? And you're gonna sit there and tell me 
that, that that's not a result of Christianity being scrubbed and forced out of the public square? You'll never convince me any differently than that. You're going to tell me that you're going to persecute Christianity and try to silence preachers and silence the Word of God and try to take Christianity and the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic out of the America, out of the American project, and you're going to tell me that that kind of stuff's not going to happen as a result of that? It absolutely is going to happen as a result of that. You take the Judeo-Christian ethic out of any, of any people, watch it cannibalize each other and kill each other just like Cain and Abel, amen? That's what's gonna happen. There is a worldview change that happens and that's why the division comes. That's why it happens. Saved people living and related to lost people in the same house, in the same family. The Bible teaches us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There is a deep spiritual reason for that because your allegiances are different and over time, it's going to show. You might can fake it for a little while and smile and act like everything's okay, but at some point, something's gonna happen where there is a worldview conflict in between you and the people you love, those that follow Jesus and those that don't. And when it does, enter the sword. Enter the sword. Contention over finances. Contention over what to do on vacation or to take one at all. Contention over what music to listen to. Contention over going on mission trips. Contention over how to raise the children. What God we will serve. Contention over going to church and being involved in church and on and on and on. Somebody dies. How do we handle that? When our home is divided. How do we handle that? Many scholars believe that Jesus pulled Micah 7, 5, and 6 and spoke to it here, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend, guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, man's enemies are the men of his own house. It just shows you the depravity of where Judah had gone because she turned her back on God. And the place where you will see that first and foremost is in the home and in the people and the families. No shock, no surprise where we are as a nation when you slam the door in God's face. No question. So you mean to tell me that just following Jesus can cause all these problems? <laughs> yes, that's what Jesus is telling you. He is telling you and that's why he tells us multiple times in the scripture to count the cost of following him. That's why Jesus says things like this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, that's tough, amen? That is tough. You know, people read that text. I've had people read that text and call me up all angry. What is God saying? I'm supposed to hate my mother. For... That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're supposed to love him more than you love any of them. That's what he's saying. That you are supposed to love God and love Jesus more than any human being that's in your life. Now, here's the miracle. When you love Jesus Christ more than any other human in your life, what does his love compel you to do? Love your family. That's the point he's trying to make, but people get caught up in the vocabulary and they get all mad. 
Jesus is just trying to help you see where your allegiance, if you want your life to be aligned in his will, your allegiance has to be with him first and foremost. Period. End of discussion. No debate. That's it. That's it. If you're not willing to deal with this type of difficulty that you are hearing in these passages, if you're not, if you can't deal with that, if you can't like follow Jesus and then be faced with this and be okay and keep pushing forward, Jesus would tell you, don't step out and follow me then. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because it's, it's going to be, be a horrible experience for you. It's going to be horrible. It will be difficult to a level that you never dreamed. The blessings will also be beyond your imagination, but so will the hardship. I got a quote here that I love. Those who would reduce Jesus to a sentimental savior of a doting God have not come to terms with the depth of divine passion of the wrath and love of God which is revealed in Jesus' word, will, and obedience even until death. I love that statement. I love that statement. Well, in closing, let me say this. Jesus does not paint paint a pretty picture here, but I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he was truthful and told us the hard, cold truth. When you accept Christ into your life, not everyone is going to be happy for you and celebrate your decision. There will be many that will hate you for it and some that will outright persecute you for it just like they persecuted Jesus. And in fact, Jesus goes one step further to prepare you. He says, in fact, you're gonna be shocked to see that some of the people that persecute you and that are your enemies live under the same roof with you and you might even call them mama, daddy, or brother, or sister. So what do we do? We're real good at stomping and shouting and screaming and telling you the truth, right? Amen? I'm good at that, right? So what exactly do we do? How do we respond to those in our family that are our enemies that would seem to hate the fact that we love Jesus and are committed to him? The words from Paul just, just, just drip out of heaven like honey straight down to us today. Romans 12, 14 through 21 applies to anybody you deal with across the board. Bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, do what? If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but, be, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Father, we have heard one of the most difficult teachings that Jesus brought us. Lord, for me, it's always a sobering reminder for affirmation for some of the things that I've dealt with in my past. 
and who knows what the future holds. So Lord, I pray that you help us as believers to be prepared for the final judgment by believing in your son, Jesus Christ, by cherishing him, trusting him, having faith in him, submitting our lives to him. Help us to take notice over the households that are in division over the gospel. Help us to not look at them with a judging, harsh, haughty eye, but to look at them as families that are literally in the crosshairs of the enemy. And help us to exercise everything we heard from the mouth of Paul to all of those that we engage, that we may show your forgiveness and love and woo and persuade others to come to know you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.